So let's go ahead and get started. It's 9.35, so, and we have a, a good bit to go through. We are looking at Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the first 11 verses. And I'm going to start off with a group of questions. You don't have to answer out loud, just think in your own, in your own mind. So here it is. Do you ever get tired of running the race? Okay. No, you can answer out loud. It's, it's permitted. Yep. Have you ever felt like the struggles and the hurdles you face are hard to overcome? Sometimes. Um, this past year has been a struggle for our pastors. Can I say that out loud, Corey? Um, with a lot going on. Do you ever ask yourself what God's purpose is in the difficult circumstances of your life? I have. I do. Um, now, a, a good question. Would you like to know where to find encouragement for those times? Okay, that's a yes from my family. I... I forgot to introduce, so my mom is here this morning, Elaine Simpson, and my sisters Betty and Marilee are also here from New York, go Yankees. Uh, uh, would you like to know some how-tos for enduring the race? Yes. Okay, good. You're all with me. Um, you're in luck. They're found right here in Hebrews chapter 12. So we'll jump right into it. Um, in your outline, which you either have a fill in the blank or you have uh, something that's already filled in, or you have both. If you have a packet, you've got both. So if I forget to say the words that correspond to the blanks, you've got something to refer to. And so try to keep me on track. Make sure I tell you what the words are that go in the, in the blanks. Uh, in the first three verses, letter A, we will find how to respond to the witnesses of enduring by faith. How to respond to the witnesses of enduring by faith. And then in verses 4 through 11, letter B, how to respond to the weariness of running by faith. Okay, how to respond to the witness of enduring by faith. How to respond to the weariness of running by faith. And you'll see in the outline that we're not going to look at verse 1 in the order of the words that are written there. Uh, but rather, we're going to look at it according to the Greek grammar in its writing. So what I mean by that is that the main verb in the sentence is to run. The main verb is to run, to run with endurance. And then there are three subordinate actions to take to running that give us, I'm going to call them the how-tos, the how-tos of running with endurance. 
So let's take a look at the first how-to. <coughs> it's going to be letter A1A, if you will. Uh, let's go with, with one first. Contend with endurance, the race set before you. Contend with endurance, the race set before you. The first how-to, though, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, I read that in the NASB, not the ESV. So, the question here is, who are the cloud of witness? Who is the cloud of witness? What is the writer of Hebrews referring to? There's a clue. It's the leading word, therefore. So, who is he referring to, or what is he referring to? The people of chapter 11, of course. So, the hall of faith, as it's called, in chapter 11, goes through by faith so-and-so, and then it continues, and then by faith so-and-so, and it continues. So he's referring to <clears throat> the cloud of witnesses in chapter 11. So next question is, what is their testimony, or what is their witness? I'll give you a don't answer this way clue. Is their witness... Look at me as an example of faith. No. Thank you. He's been to seminary. I know it. I can tell. One word answer. Yeah. There you go. Thank you, Corey. <laughs> um, so what is their testimony? What is their testimony? What am I getting at? Okay. I scared y'all by giving you the no answer. <laughs> they were looking for the promise. Okay. They were looking for the promise. Yep. They're looking for the Messiah. We're looking at what we know to be. Yes. All right. Um, <clears throat> so the reason I say... <clears throat> that their witness or their testimony is not look at me as an example of faith is because they're flawed people just like we are, right? So some of them are questionable. Yeah, as am I. <clears throat> let's, let's just be honest here. Um, their testimony or their witness is faith produces an enduring hope in Christ. Their faith produces an enduring hope. In Christ. That's their witness. That's their testimony. <clears throat> so, our first how to is uh, run the race with the confidence that the faith we have through Christ gives us endurance. That's the first how to. Run the race with the confidence that the faith we have through Christ gives us endurance. Did anyone other than, is Daniel still in the room? He is not. Daniel would have caught this right away. Did you? Did anybody catch, did you catch the word play there? 
run with confidence. The, okay, good. So the word confidence means with faith. Okay, good. So run with the faith. All right. That the faith we have through Christ gives us endurance. Am I doing on time? Keep going. Keep going. All right. Let's look at the second how-to. So the first was A1A, consider the encompassing witness described for you. Consider the encompassing witness described for you. B is cast aside encumbrances and sin that entangle us. We'll spend a little bit of time on this one. Cast aside encumbrances and sin that entangles us. So <clears throat> let me read it to you in the ESV, and then I'll read it to you. I just read it to you in the NASB. In the ESV, it is, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Every weight and sin which clings so closely. In the NASB, every encumbrance encumbrance and the sin so easily entang which so easily entangles us. So there's two things that we need to lay aside. We need to cast them aside, get them out of our way. If we don't lay them aside, they're going to tangle our feet and cause us to fall. The first thing we must cast aside are those things that hinder or encumber us. Hinder or encumber us. Uh, this is where the, NS, the ESV renders it every weight. The things that weigh us down. What we know about the runners in the first century contest. So this analogy that's running through uh, chapter 12 is running a race. And to run it with endurance. And what we know about runners of the first century is that they would get rid of excess weight and any restrictive clothing, even their footwear. Even their footwear they would cast off to, to run the race. Um, they would enter the arena with long robes, but then when the race was getting ready to start, those robes go aside and we're running virtually naked so that there's nothing, no restrictive clothing, there's no uh, nothing to weigh us down. They would have trained before to lose excess weight, apparently. Um, something I need to do. And uh, they would then run with these hindrances set aside. Um, so what are these hindrances? What are the things that would encumber us or tangle us, entangle us? Um, they are more external things. All right. So the reason I say that is because the next thing he says we need to cast aside is sin or the sin, depending on which version you read. So um, he's not talking about sins here. He's talking about things that um, aren't necessarily a sin in and of themselves, but they have a negative impact on us. They cause us not to run with endurance. What are the, some, of the, some of the things that we might put in that category? 
anybody or everybody. What could we put in that category of things not necessarily a sin, but could encumber our race? Your job. Hmm? Your job definitely does. I know it does in my case. So where do I focus my attention? On the race or on my job, my career, right? Entertainment. All right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Even more personal. It is. It is quite personal. I remember a time when <laughs> my mom and my sisters will appreciate this. Um, where do you spend your money? Okay. Do I spend it on things that help me run the race? Or do I spend it on buying Yankee memorabilia? I knew you would like that one. Uh, I was caught. Huh? Yes, yes, Steve. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I actually wrote down on my list, there are things that we spend our money on. Where do we spend our money? Um, what else? There's one that I'm I'm hoping we. Jesus calls uh, our man instituted as our friend. I don't remember it is. Jesus says, "Hey, I I want to follow you, Lord. Pick into your side." He says, um, "He says, okay, drop everything, come with me. I got it. So I have to go bury my father." Yes, yeah, yeah. He said, not the bad dad buried him dead. And so, um, I think what he's saying there is not necessarily, you know, it's, wrong, it's not wrong to bury your bugs. It is wrong to have that hinder you from doing the best thing. The best thing, yeah. Best thing. Not I'm best glad thing. you said it that way. Doing the best thing or the better thing. Yeah. I wrote down in my list of things, friends. Isn't it? So I'm going to, and my, my wife is sitting here, but she won't remember. Um, there was a point in time many, many years ago where I had a friend at work and Debbie came to me and she said, you should not be hanging around with that guy. You should not be hanging around with him. He's bad influence. And I'm going to be honest, I brushed her off. I'm okay. You know, I'm going to influence him for the good. He's not going to influence me for the bad. Well, honey, you were right. He was a bad influence, and eventually um, he was no longer in my circle of friends, but um, the damage was done, right? So friends, things external to ourselves that cause us to get our feet tangled and fall and lose the race. Um, the next thing is very interesting. Cast aside encumbrances and sin that entangle us. <clears throat> so we talked about encumbrances or weights. And now ESV says sin, NASB puts a definite article in front of it, the sin. So here's uh, some ways that we should look at that. Um, 
The original Greek reads thus in. That definite article is there. All right. Um, however, uh, many Bible commentators believe that this refers to the sin of unbelief in general, the sin of unbelief, the sin. Uh, still others um, believe that it is sin, sin in general, sin. And that's, you know, the ESV um, loses that definite article and refers to and sin which clings so closely. Um, <clears throat> Could it be that there is a reconciliation between those two views? Because can we name a sin that does not grow out of unbelief? Ah. <laughs> Fair. Thank you, Rex. Thank you. That's good. That's good. That's good. Um, If, um, yet others believe that it refers to a sin, a particular sin, the one that so easily entangles you or the one that so easily entangles me, uh, the sin, right? Uh, the one that you struggle with. And that could be completely different uh, from person to person. All right, the the second thing we need to notice about that phrase is that it easily entangles us. Easily. It happens before you know it. Sin entangles our feet. It easily, or in the NSV, NSV, ESV, it clings so closely. So our second how-to is to ask ourselves, what are the hindrances and what are the sin that easily entangles us, and we need to lay them aside. All right, so we had consider the encompassing witness described for you for us. We have cast aside encumbrances and sin that easily entangles us. And now we look at the third how-to. The third how-to is concentrate on Emmanuel so it doesn't weary us. Okay, and who do I mean by Emmanuel? Very good, very good. Um, here is the reading, verse 2. This is fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the third how-to of running with endurance is fixing our eyes on Jesus. Rather than being distracted by hindrances and the sin, we must keep our focus and our attention on Jesus. He is the true example of faith. So we had examples in chapter 11, Jesus being the true uh, example of faith. And he is both the author of faith and the perfecter of faith. In, if you have a packet of information, there's one sheet that has keyword definitions on it. So let's take a look at author. Can somebody read that for me, please, if you have that sheet? Author. 
think of uh, the source, the originator, the one that takes the lead on things. That's the board's example. All right, thank you. So the originators, the author. And then on that same sheet of paper, we have perfecter. Can somebody read that one for me? Hmm? It doesn't have perfecter? Completer? Okay, thanks. So I lost the completer, the mature one who is in home, who is one who in his own person raised faith to perfection and so set before us the highest example of faith. All right. Thank you. So Jesus is both the originator of our faith and the completer of our faith. He's the source of faith and the one who matures our faith, matures faith. Let me say it that way. Uh, it brings to mind, doesn't it, Philippians 1, 6? Does somebody have that? Can somebody read that reference for me, Philippians 1, 6? If not, I've got it here somewhere. And I'm sure of this, that he began a good work in you, bring it to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. All right. Thank you. Perfector. Yes. Perfector. It's the same word. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> All right. Um, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Um, we might have James 1, verses 2 and 3, running through our... You've got it, yeah. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That's what we're talking about here, trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces... Endurance, all right? The testing of your faith. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Okay, verse three. Uh, For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. All right, the word consider in verse 3, I mean, it seems too mild, the way we use it in modern day. Uh, consider. Oh, you might want to consider what you want to have for dinner. Okay. It just, it just seems so mild. Um, the Greek word is much stronger. Uh, and you have the definition there again on that sheet that has our definitions. Uh, consider, to consider by weighing, comparing, to analyze, or to log into or take into account. All right. 
one of my commentaries said that this is an accounting term, and I went, oh. <laughs> now I know why in God's providence he had me uh, lined up to teach this portion, right? It's an accounting term. So to log into account. So it, it's not just a, a brush consideration, just a glance, right? It's an, it's an analysis. It's a, it's a, a, a deep think, uh, a consider, really analyze. Um, so our third how-to is to fix our eyes completely and totally on the originator and completer of faith. In our outline, it's concentrate on Emmanuel so it doesn't weary us. That's the last part of verse three. Uh, Consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. All right. We're gonna move on now to verses uh, four through eleven. You may. You you, you may. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, this fact, this this essence of what is being said here, has really over the last year or so been been showing itself to me in more and more passages of scripture. Uh, First Peter chapter one does it beautifully. In, in pointing out that, and it doesn't do it in this order, it's got, you got to kind of look for it, but uh, it, it refers to Christ as having been foreknown before the foundation of the world. It refers to Christ as having gone through great suffering, and it refers to Christ as having been exalted to his yeah. glory. Yeah. But at the same time, woven through it all, he refers to his readers as for no. He refers to the readers as undergoing suffering. And he refers the readers to hold on mm-hmm. to the hope of their eventual glorification. Yeah. And it's not that it is so the idea is because we are in Christ and we see that God already fulfilled in Christ the promise that he made to us, then it gives us encouragement. Uh-huh. Uh, that we will make it. Yeah. And Dan 7 does the same thing. There are other passages that, that just breathe with this. Christ saw even through it all. You will make it. You will make it. Awesome. Thank you, Rex. That's, that is awesome. Um, verse 4. So we're moving into our section, how to respond to the weariness of running by faith. And... Uh, So B, number one, is realize the proofs in God's discipline. Realize the proofs in God's discipline. Uh, Verse four is kind of a transitional verse. So in the the first three verses, uh, the main exhortation is endurance. And then in verses five through 11, the main exhortation is to put into perspective God's discipline uh, to show us how we should respond to it. So in verse four, having just shown that Jesus is the true example of enduring faith, even to the point of enduring the cross, 
the writer of Hebrews begins to help us put into perspective our own trials and our strivings. He points out that we have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood as Jesus had. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges, scourges every son whom he receives. So in verse 5, to help us to put into perspective... Uh, we're shown the two extreme responses to God's discipline or the discipline of the Lord. The first extreme is regard it lightly. Brush it off. Yeah. To regard it lightly. The second extreme is to faint or to be weary. Uh, we need to avoid the two extremes of indifference and despair. Um, the first part of verse 5 is better interpreted as a question in the Greek grammar. It's in interrogatory, right? Um, and uh, the word forgotten is actually intensified in the Greek. Uh, so here's what you get. You have, have you completely forgotten the exhortation? Have you completely forgotten in your uh, word definitions it says be oblivious to? Have you, have you totally forgotten? Um, and the relative bluntness of that question is kind of tempered by the rest of the question. Um, in your word study, look at the word addressed. The word addressed. It says to discuss, to converse, to dialogue. All right. So it's it's a conversation. It's a dialogue. It's not a a uh, a reprimand. Right. It's it's a dialogue, um, and. It's a conversation between a father, in this case God, and his children, uh, a son whom he loves. And if we put all that together, then we have, have you completely forgotten God's encouragement in the way that he talks to you as his children? So that bluntness of have you completely forgotten is kind of tempered by God is speaking to you as a loving father would speak to his child. Um, and there are parallels here that we're going to get to. So the writer of Hebrews, this, this uh, verses 5 and 6, is a quote of Proverbs 3, 11, and 12 from the Septuagint. So it's almost word for word from, <clears throat> excuse me, from the Greek uh, interpretation of the Old Testament. And there are parallels in it. Uh, number one, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And then the parallel skips a few lines. And then it is because the Lord disciplines those he loves. <laughs> and then number three, don't lose heart when you are reproved by him. 
skip a few, because the Lord punishes those he accepts as sons. So two things become very clear. Uh, let me read it first, and then I'll finish that sentence. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So there's two things that become very clear. God's discipline proves, and this goes back to your outline, it proves his love for us. So realize the proofs in God's discipline, B1. B1A, it proves his love for us. Okay. And number two, I'm sorry, B, B1B, it proves his adoption of us. We are his true children. It proves his love for us. It proves his adoption of us. <clears throat> and then uh, verses 6b through 8 expand on the proof of God's adoption of us as sons and daughters. Verse 7 can be read, uh, it is because of discipline that you endure, or it can be read, it is for discipline that you have to endure. Uh, in Thomas Schreiner's commentary, he suggests it should be read as an imperative. Endure suffering as discipline. Endure suffering as discipline. Uh, a little literal reading of verses 7 and 8 in the Greek might put it this way. If you're not disciplined by the Father, uh, God is dealing... Oh, I'm sorry. If you are... <laughs> I read it completely wrong. If you are enduring discipline... God is dealing with you as sons. After all, what son is not disciplined by the Father? And then look at this, this next word. All of us receive discipline. If you're not being disciplined, you are the illegitimate children and not true sons. Uh, in the context of first century uh, legal environment, to be illegitimate meant that you did not have the privileges of family <coughs> or the protection of the father. Uh, so that was verse 8. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. All right, let's move on. And I know I'm going a little bit quick here because time's getting short. <clears throat> B, two, realize the purposes in God's discipline. Realize the purposes in God's discipline. All right. In verses 9 through 11, the writer of Hebrews turns from the proofs provided in God's discipline to the purposes provided in God's discipline. He makes the point in verses 9 and 10 that <clears throat> we had earthly fathers disciplining us and we respected them. And it's here that I, I think, okay, I should make a funny comment because my sisters are here and my mom is here. But I'm not going to do it. 
Did we respect our father's discipline? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Absolutely and positively, we did. Uh, so here's how here's how it reads. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? So, and then I'll, I'll read verse 10 as well. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Again, <laughs> but he disciplines, God disciplines us for good so that we may share his holiness. Uh, so our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, which could imply <coughs> that their discipline may have been done in the wrong manner or with the wrong motives or with the wrong attitude. Uh, I am not saying any of those are true of my father, but they might have been true of me, okay? Did, did, I, good, did I do good, Mom? I done good, all right. Thank you, Mom. Uh, however, our, our, earthly, our heavenly Father's discipline is for our good and for our advantage. And that advantage is we share in His holiness. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. All right? Realize the purposes, this is B2, realize the purposes in God's discipline. B2A, it produces His holiness in us. It produces His holiness in us. And the short time that's mentioned in verse 10 <coughs> may apply to both our earthly father and our heavenly father and have eschatological implications I just love saying that word, and that's why I threw it in my notes. Eschatological, Daniel. There it is. Corey's shaking his head, which means I need to go on. Um, which would al align with the subject, uh, with be subject to the Father of Spirits and live. So let's read 1 Peter 1, 6 and seven. I've got it right here. Yes, you did. So, so here we go. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result <coughs> in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Good, good. Rex is smiling, so I think he's glad I made reference to that passage. All right. We have come near the end.
Amen. Amen, brother. All right. Um, so the first purpose of God's discipline then is holiness. And let's look at verse 11 for the second person purpose. <coughs> All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, <laughs> but sorrowful. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Not just it yields righteousness, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. All right, so for that short time, we are disciplined by God. It's not joyful, it's sorrowful. But when we are trained by God's discipline, it results in peaceful righteousness. Let's read 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. It says this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Um, <clears throat> uh, notice that the word peaceful in verse 11. Yes, Corey, I'm sorry. Who said Paul the righteous? I mean, <laughs> just say Paul. Paul, Paul I get Paul. Yes. I'm just thinking, like, all of these, just trying to well, we've got so many Pauline kind of thoughts. Yeah. It's like strung together in one thing. Yeah. Um, but it also was like Jesus's words. I mean, it's good. No, no, good, good. I, I have tended, I suppose, to think that it was Paul who wrote Hebrews. Uh, <clears throat> mm -hmm, okay, gotcha. Uh, so the word peaceful. Oh my gosh. Was it this Friday? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, notice the word peaceful is placed in front of fruit of righteousness uh, in the Greek. That's for emphasis, is for emphasis. Uh, when we realize that God's holiness and righteousness is being produced in us by his discipline, it brings peace. The peace that comes from knowing that we are God's sons and he disciplines, his discipline is for our good. So the second purpose, which was, is going to be B2B, it produces his righteousness in us. I was kind of hoping that my older son was going to be here today because he and I were talking about this exact point. Um, some of you know, some don't know, that he went through a very difficult period of time this past year. And... He and I had a conversation recently, and he said, you know, um, I look at it now, and even though I may not fully yet understand God's purposes in it, I have peace. 
I have peace. Uh, when we know that our trials and the things we go through are producing his righteousness in us, his holiness in us, there's a peace that comes with that. There's a peace that comes through that. That is what I have. Does anybody have any thoughts that they want to contribute to us? Did you get every word? Fill in, did you fill in all the blanks? Good, good. All right, awesome. We have come to the end of our time, so let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll be dismissed and move on to uh, our regular worship time. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you for um, your love for us. We thank you that you love us enough to discipline us, that you love us as your own cheer, dear, uh, true children. You have adopted us, made us your own. Father, we thank you. We pray, Lord, that in those times when we go through difficult seasons, when we experience discipline, trials, sufferings, that we would recall that these things prove your love for us and prove that we are your children and that in and through them, your discipline is producing in us your holiness and your righteousness and may we enjoy the peace that that brings. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>